Hello, and welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Today's episode is with Bob Pritchard of Somax Performance Institute, who I talked to about a treatment he developed for improving restricted chest expansion, which Bob says is very common, especially among those who have ever had injuries to their ribcage and surrounding muscles. I can tell you from personal experience as an athlete with broken ribs in my past that you do not have to feel like your chest expansion is restricted to be afflicted by it. Bob's flexibility improvement program is used anywhere on the body where scar tissue is limiting range of motion. Over the years, 18 of Bob's athletes have competed in the Olympics, winning 43 gold medals and setting 11 world records. And his age group and master's swimmers have won state, national, and regional championships. If you are curious about your own chest expansion, then listen in as Bob talks about his approach, how to measure your own chest expansion, and he gives us examples from athletes you may know. All right, let's talk to Bob Pritchard of Somax Performance Institute. All right, well, Bob, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yes, Bob, good to have you on board. Hey, Glenn. Bob, our talk today is going to be focused on your work in improving athlete chest expansion to improve endurance, but your work at Somax Performance Institute covers a lot more ground than that. Can you give us a little bit of, of an overview on your background and the work you do for elite athletes? Well, uh, my background is a little bit different from most people who train athletes, and that is my background is in uh, pre-med and anatomy and also in engineering. When I was in high school, I was machining parts for NASA, for instance, Wow! and I built my first house when I was 18. Nice. So I have kind of a background uh, that uh, involves those two things. One is how do you build things? And number two, how does the human body work? And as a result of those two things, instead of focusing on the muscles, building strength, endurance, and stretching, I have been focusing on other systems in the body, basically the connective tissue system and the skeletal system, in order to improve uh, efficiency in my athletes. And as a result of that, my 18 Olympic athletes have gone on to win 44 gold medals and set 11 world records. Very nice. Well, that sounds pretty good. Bob, to summarize then, you work with athletes to improve their performance by improving their flexibility and efficiency and movement. Is that right? Yes. Yes. For instance, uh, I've worked with a lot of runners. And usually in a week or two, my runners cut a minute per mile off their training pace. So if it Whoa. takes them 40 minutes to do a five-mile run, <clears throat> at the end of a week or two, it'll take them 35 if it takes them 35, uh, it'll take them then 30. And they do this with actually less effort than they were running before because what I do is I release microfibers or mild scar tissue that are restricting their movement. And that way they don't have to expend a lot of their energy trying to overcome their own stiffness. And so oh. as, a, as a result, most of my athletes, the vast majority of them, are athletes who are 50 and older because, as we all know, we lose flexibility over time as we get older. But the thing that people don't know is that this is due to problems in the connective tissue and not problems in the joints or the muscles, as people uh, commonly think. Well, that's interesting. I wonder if, especially when you get to the older athletes, if you've got sort of a lifetime of abuse creeping into play here. I mean, for example, I'm sure Glenn has, and I know I have broken ribs. Mm -hmm. That's right. got to come into play with scar tissue. Uh, right. And I read on your website that actually doing resistance training can have the same effect. Is that right? Yes. Uh, people don't realize this because, of course, your trainer won't tell you this, but lifting weights uh, makes muscles bigger and stronger by tearing individual muscle fibers. Each muscle is made up about 20 to 50,000 tiny little fibers smaller than a human hair. And when you lift heavy weights, you tear those fibers. And as the body repairs them, they become bigger and stronger. 
But the problem is, is that anytime you tear any tissues in the body, the body also creates scar tissue in order to repair the, that damage. And uh, so in autopsies on bodybuilders, for instance, they found that 30% of their muscle mass is actually just scar tissue. Wow. That's how much <laughs> scar tissue is made. But yeah. I don't work so much with that. What I work with is I work with the microfibers or mild scar tissue that form uh, in between the muscles to kind of bind them together like an internal cast so that that any damage can be repaired. And you talked about, uh, you know, cracking some ribs and stuff, but one of the things that's made you stiff is, are the kind of falls and accidents that you had when you were a young kid, you know, because uh -huh. anybody who's an athlete, a senior athlete was also very active when they were kids. And so you fell off a bike or, um, you know, skates or, uh, well, one thing that causes a lot of uh, microfibers is uh, skating on ice. So if you played ice hockey when you were young, you know, there's no real graceful way to fall on the ice. You know, your skates come out from under you and bang, you're down on your rear end. And sure. that shows up years later as restricted hip movement. Well, of course, huh. any sport that you're in requires movement of the hips, whether you're running, swimming, or cycling. Right, right. Yeah, I played a lot of football when I was young. and Ah, uh, yeah. I, um, and, and uh, I, hell, I even used to ride my bike as fast as I could and then jump off on purpose. <laughs> and, roll across, and I'd roll across the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm well, doomed. Now, now we know why your breathing numbers are so bad. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, for the listener, we did some measurements that uh, Bob normally does in his uh, clients, and uh, he's going to talk about how much work Glenn and I need. I'm sure both of us. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, really. Uh, all right. Well, so tell us about how chest expansion comes into play in this idea of improving efficiency? Well, of course, uh, you want to, um, when you're involved in any sport, you want to take in as much oxygen as you can with each breath, and you want to be able to blow out as much carbon dioxide as you can with each breath. And it turns out that that's highly dependent on the flexibility of your stomach, your diaphragm, and your chest. And when you think about it, it makes sense. I mean, if your chest is really and stomach are really stiff, you're going to take a deep breath and not much is going to happen. So, for instance, I worked with a college golfer uh, years ago, and he came to me and his chest expansion was two inches. Mm -hmm. And I doubled that to four inches, and I measured his uh, lung capacity before I worked with him and then afterwards. And his lung capacity increased 33%. That sounds like a lot. Well, he went from 3.22 liters to 4.3 liters, okay? So that means that during, um, of course, he wasn't at that time involved in an aerobic competition because golf is not aerobic. But it did mean that even day to day, uh, because your what's called your uh, daily breathing uh, is about is always a percentage of your total lung capacity. It meant that he was taking in 33% more oxygen with each breath that he took during the day, and we breathe about uh, 18,000 times a day. And the total air that moves in and out of our lungs is about 2,500 gallons. And that's equivalent to a three-foot deep, 12-foot uh, wide circular backyard swimming pool. Well, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. People, it's going on all the time, and, and people don't realize the numbers involved. And yeah. uh, the, the thing that was most striking about this golfer was not not only his 33% increase in lung capacity, but when he went back to school, he found he could do his homework in half the time. Mm -hmm. His grades improved, which were like a C plus average in an entry-level college, 
he transferred to a full university where he graduated with A's and two majors and two minors. So having a flexible rib cage not only helps your sports performance, but it also helps your brain. Yeah. That's kind of confusing. I can understand why somebody who had some limitations in their breathing, that would come into play when they're breathing as hard as they can. Right. But when you're just sitting at a desk, why don't you just breathe more? Breathe more often if you can't get as much in every breath to get enough oxygen, I guess. Well, it turns out that the most important time of the day to have a, a flexible rib cage, apart from being in a sports competition, is at night. Because it's at night when your brain does most of its work. Uh, taking what you've learned during the day, turning it into long-term memory, and then connecting those memories with things that you've learned in the past. I see. And also getting rid of all the gunk that is uh, the byproducts of your brain metabolism. All of that takes place at night. That's why increasing your chest expansion has a bigger impact on your brain than exercise does. Because when you exercise, uh, you do get more oxygen to the brain. But the problem is that the benefits of that only last for about three hours. You mean the length of your exercise? Three hours after, after your exercise. Oh, so okay. uh, unless you exercise... Uh, immediately before going to bed, which nobody in their right mind would do, <laughs> then yeah. you'll only get three, three out of your eight hours of sleep will your brain be getting all the oxygen it needs. Okay, huh. But if you have good chest expansion, your brain is going to get uh, all the oxygen it needs all night long when it has to do most of its work. Because you have to remember that during the day, our brain is mainly focused on our environment and because we don't want to do something stupid like uh, fall off our bike when we're going downhill at uh, high speed. Yeah, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, in terms of... Um, performance. Uh, I had a young cyclist come to me a few years ago. He uh, would participate on every Saturday. The local bicycle club had a uh, climb up Mount Tamalpais, which is a local 2,500 foot peak. And you start from the bottom and everybody races at full speed up to the top. And he could never keep up with the lead pack. So when I measured him, he only had one inch of chest expansion. And as I worked with him over a couple of weeks, his chest expansion increased to five inches. Holy mackerel. Yeah. And so he came back uh, at the, for the beginning of the third week. And I said, uh, how are you doing? And he said, uh, well, I'm doing really well. I said, did you go for a ride this uh, weekend? He said, yeah. I said, how did you do? He said, I rode him into the ground. <laughs> In other words, well, not being, yeah, not being able to keep up with the lead pack to just uh, them not keeping up with you. And that all happened by increasing his uh, chest expansion. And then a few months later, he made the Olympic trials. Uh, he went to the trials and he would have made the Olympic team, but unfortunately he was in the lead pack and there was a big uh, crash and uh, his bike got wrecked, so he couldn't uh, complete it. But uh, Too bad. Yeah. I, I found over and over again that increasing uh, chest expansion makes a much bigger improvement in athlete performance than uh, just working on fitness. Uh, yeah. Fitness is important, but uh, as I mentioned to you before, um, I have a habit of when somebody does something extraordinary, when some athlete does something extraordinarily, I get on a plane and fly to them and I measure their ranges for their sport because I, I'm interested, you know, why does some, why, what makes somebody extraordinary? So one of the athletes I, I did this with was Janet Evans, who you may remember was a, uh, the dominant uh, long distance swimmer. Uh, I think it was back in the 80s. 
And uh, the interesting thing about Janet is that when she was at the Olympic Training Center, they measured her VO2 max, and it was only 56. Now, to give you an idea of how low that is, a couch potato is 46, somebody who doesn't exercise at all. And elite athletes are usually somewhere between 70 and 80. So in terms of VO2 max, which people think is the holy grail of endurance, Janet was closer to a couch potato than she was to an elite athlete. But she simultaneously held the fastest times in the world in the 400, 800, and 1500 freestyle. So how did she do that? Did she have a particularly effective swim stroke? Uh, When I was at the Olympic Training Center, I actually saw her hand force output, and it was just very average. So I knew it wasn't her stroke that was doing it, and it certainly wasn't her VO2 max that was enabling her to defeat everybody else in long-distance races. So I flew down to Southern California when she was at where she was at a meet, and I asked her, do you mind if I measure your flexibility? And she very graciously said, I don't mind at all. So I did. And her flexibility and her hips and her shoulders were average for an elite freestylers. But her stomach, diaphragm, and chest expansion were 50% greater than what her competitors had. And so her secret to dominating an aerobic event that requires, quote, fitness, was that she was able to take in 50% more air than her opponents did, 50% more oxygen, and also blow out more carbon dioxide. Yeah, that's really great. I wonder if that isn't somehow influenced by the single factor, which I like the least about swimming, which is that you have limited opportunities to breathe. So the more you can get per breath, the better you're going to be. Absolutely. Well, it it happens not only with swimming, but as I mentioned before, with a cyclist. And certainly a cyclist has lots of time to breathe. Okay. And um, it certainly helped uh, a soccer player that I worked with, and they have plenty of time to breathe. I worked with a guy named Preki, who uh, was the best player in, in Major League Soccer in this country for about, uh, I'd say, about 10 or 15 years. And uh, he came to me when he was 39 years old because he'd slowed down and his coach had threatened to play him from the bench. And he always played as a starter, so he didn't want to be yeah. uh, playing from the bench. So I measured his uh, chest expansion, and it was half an inch. Ooh. Yeah, half an inch. Now, why was his chest expansion so limited? Then the reason was was that every year Preki led the league in fouls suffered because his opponents knew they couldn't outplay him, and so what they did is they tried to injure him, and wow. so they would elbow him in the ribs, they would kick him, they would kick his legs, and so from doing that for. 20 years, he uh, his chest expansion got less and less and less. So over a period of four weeks, I was able to increase his chest expansion from half an inch to five inches. He went back to the team at the start of the year uh, because I worked with him on the offseason. Uh, he played as a starter 31 of 32 games. He led the, the team to the national championship And that was not his opinion or mine. I watched the game on ABC, and at halftime, they interviewed the um, Chris Klein, the team uh, captain, and they said, what's your strategy for the second half of this championship game? And he said, get the ball to Precky. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) That's what I did, too. Yeah, so Precky led the team to the national championship. And three years later, at age 41, he was voted league MVP. Wow. So what is it you do for people that improves their chest expansion? I don't know whether this is like some secret and you can't tell us, but what can you tell us? (laughs) Well, 
if I told you everything, then I would have to, you know, what they say in the spy movies. Yes, I know what they say. So don't tell us, don't tell us everything. Then. Right. Okay. So many years ago, uh, I took a class in massage and um, I worked with uh, mostly athletes because, the, you know, they get stiff from their, their sport. And um, then I took some, um, I decided I didn't really know enough about anatomy to really know what I was doing. So I started taking uh, dissection classes at the local medical school. Well, of course, you can't do that today because there's so many regulations, but this was back in the 70s. And um, as I was uh, doing these dissections, I saw that the inside of the human body is very different from what you see on these anatomy charts. In other words, you look at an anatomy chart and you'll see one for the skeleton and then you'll see another for the muscle system, but you don't see anything for the connective tissue system. And when you open up the body, that's all that you see is you see this thin membrane of connective tissue that covers the entire body is that the fascia? That's it's called fascia, and unfortunately, that's a misnomer. Okay, oh. when early on in the in in early in Middle Ages Italy, uh, the connective tissue membranes were called muscular membranes because they were around the muscle, and then sometime in the either 16th or 17th century, someone. Uh, changed the name from muscular membrane to fascia, okay? Well, as uh, somebody who's working on an, a dead body that's not moving, it seems reasonable that, that fascia would be the right word because fascia means to bind, okay? And so they would look at it as kind of binding the muscle together. But as somebody who works with people who move, what I see is that the role of fascia is really to facilitate movement because you, you can't have muscle on muscle because otherwise they just grind each other to pieces. So you have this membrane around each muscle and the membranes uh, facilitate movement. So they really should have called it fascilla rather than fascia. That would be a more accurate description. And okay. certainly for athletes, it's a more accurate description because it does facilitate movement, except, of course, when you have some damage to the muscles from either overuse, like lifting weights or uh, running, uh, uh, doing a lot of running, um, doing a lot of cycling. These kinds of things will make you stiff. Um, also, in terms of the uh, rib cage uh, having uh, bronchitis, pneumonia, allergies, or colds will also make you stiff. And then, if you have the misfortune, the misfortune of being 30 years or younger, then you carried a backpack to school every day. And eight studies from around the world have documented that carrying a school backpack reduces lung capacity. And it reduces lung capacity up to 40%. But the thing that these researchers didn't realize and schools have not realized is that this reduction becomes chronic because people develop microfibers as a result of carrying those heavy backpacks. You remember, for instance, the college golfer I talked about whose yeah. chest expansion doubled? Well, guess what caused his tight chest? carrying a backpack to school every day from first to 12th grade. And uh, afterwards, after his grades improved so much, he actually sat down and calculated the total amount of weight he carried from first grade to 12th grade. So guess what that total amount of weight was? I can't begin to imagine. Several tons. No, nobody else can either. 215, 400 pounds. 215,400 pounds. Wow. Or the equivalent of seven automobiles. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I learned about this, because I, I kind of stumbled on this in around 2000 when kids coming to my swim camps had less chest expansion than before, 
And as I release the microfibers or scar tissue that form between the connective tissue, they recalled carrying a backpack as what caused their stress. And I wondered if it was just my, and, and then not only did they swim faster, but their parents then told me that their grades improved up to a full letter grade. So mm -hmm. I wondered if, you know, was this happening just with my kids or was it happening with everybody? And so I went to um, Google Scholar and started doing some research. And I found a study by the U.S. Department of Education that found a 40% drop in STEM majors between 1996 and 2004. Okay. So in 1996, college freshmen had been carrying bigger, heavier backpacks, which became popular then for one year. And in 2004, they had been carrying them for eight years. Hmm. So if any of your listeners have kids or grandkids who have been carrying a school backpack, you need to measure their chest expansion hmm. because it not only affects their grades, but it's also going to affect their income. For instance, one of my runners that I worked with when I doubled his chest expansion, he was a, a senior computer engineer in Silicon Valley. During the time that I worked with him, he, re he received two promotions and three raises in pay. Well, I guess uh, paying for your services paid for itself. Pays off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Bob, so you've cleverly not really answered the question about what are you doing for these people? And I, I realize I don't want to be looking over my shoulder for the rest of my life, so don't tell us everything, but no. basically what are we doing here? So microfiber reduction is a form of connective tissue massage. So what I'm doing is I'm working in between the layers of connective tissue, releasing these microfibers, and then there's an immediate and very dramatic improvement in flexibility. Um, your listeners, for instance, can go to my website, which is somaxsports.com, okay. and at the very top of the page, there's a short video that shows me working with a 52-year-old triathlete. And during that first day, you can see his hamstring range improves 45 degrees. I saw that. Yeah. And his hip extension tripled. Okay. So that means his hips loosened up. He could take a longer stride. And before I worked with him, I had him run a quarter mile, which he did in 128. And then at the end of the day, we ran the quarter mile and he ran it in 120. So... In one day, he cut eight seconds off of his quarter mile time, which was a 9% improvement. And as he says at the end of the video, that's the fastest time I've run in 10 years. Right. So releasing right. these microfibers for senior athletes literally turns the clock back 10 years. Right. Well, and so this is something, this is like a manual therapy and you do it yourself and they your clients have to come to you, you're in the San Francisco area. Uh, what about people who aren't in that area or aren't going to that area? Is there anything that people could do to get some of these benefits? Now that we've tantalized them with these amazing <laughs> benefits, what could they do if they can't come see you? Well, uh, first of all, the bulk of my clients come from out of state or outside of the United States. So distance is not a problem. But for people who want to do something to try to improve their chest expansion, they, they can try stretching, okay? The bad news is that this has already been tried. Uh, there was a study done in, in Thailand using uh, yoga stretches to increase breathing ranges. And what they found was that over, I think it was a six-week period of doing these um, stretches under the supervision of a teacher, that they had an 18% improvement in their chest expansion. So that means that if you have a two-inch chest expansion, after doing these stretches, that at the end of six weeks, your chest expansion will be exactly 2.36 inches. 
Okay, so they're not getting dramatic improvements, but some improvements. Well, the thing of it is, is that uh, I don't find that there's um, kind of any measurable improvements in performance until you double chest expansion. Uh, okay. okay, so uh, they're 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 stretching can help you, but the thing of it is that um, you don't want to just go out and do some stretches. I think the most important thing that I can provide your listeners with are the directions on how to measure your the, the expansion of your stomach, diaphragm, and chest, because that's going to tell you something that you just cannot feel. The, it's it's so peculiar about our breathing ranges. They're they're so central to uh, to our uh, existence. For instance, you can go without eating for days, but you can only go for minutes without breathing. And yet, we can't feel uh, what our chest expansion is like. I mean, you guys uh, weren't before you measured your chest expansion. Were you aware of how restricted it was? Oh, I would say <laughs> I had great chest expansion. I, exactly, I, I, right. I would say I had zero problems with that. Exactly. I expected that I was going, that you were going to be complimenting me on my <laughs> magnificent <laughs> chest expansion. <laughs> and you Imagine know, my disappointment. It, here's the thing, okay? You're not alone because for 10 years, I... In, was increasing chest expansion in my athletes, you know, my runners and swimmers and so forth. It never once in those 10 years occurred to me to measure my own chest expansion. And here I, huh. I was doing it for a living. I was increasing chest yeah. expansion. You know, talk about the cobbler who, you know, has worn out shoes. You know, he repairs yeah. everybody else's shoes, but he and his and his family have shoes with holes in them. So, I uh, was um, working with my assistant, and I said, why don't you, so that you know how to do this, why don't you measure my breathing ranges? And so he did, and he uh, put the tape measure around my chest, and uh, my chest was 38 inches, and he said, okay, now blow out all your air. So I blew out all my air, and then he said, now take a deep breath, and I took a deep breath, and he, and he said, uh-oh. And I said, what do you mean? Uh-oh. He said, he said, your chest only expands three quarters of an inch. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And I said, well, that's impossible. And he said, well, Bob, you know, I may not be very bright, but I do know how to use a cloth tape measure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And your chest only expands three quarters of an inch. Now, why did I think that I must have good chest expansion. Well, first of all, I was an A-level uh, tennis player. Uh, I was an expert skier, and I uh, rode my bike all, all around the county and never once experienced getting out of breath. So mm -hmm. I just assumed that I must have good chest expansion, okay? And, and of course... Uh, this is the biggest mistake that people can make is to assume something that's so vital to their mental and, and physical performance is okay, as you guys found out for yourselves, you know. Yeah. So that's the most important thing that people can take away from this podcast is knowing how to measure their breathing ranges and then measuring not only themselves but their family members uh, their kids and their grandkids. And uh, frankly, you know, if you have a small business, uh, measure the chest expansion of your employees. Well, tell us, if you can, uh, briefly, what is this procedure? Um, you could say it better than I could, uh, even though I did it one time. The, with a cloth tape measure, they measure where and, and how do they right. get the, the proper you know, maximum and minimum to right. get the range. Right. Okay. So, uh, first of all, uh, you want to be in a position where the muscles of your trunk are not doing any work. So, you don't want to be standing or sitting because those muscles are keeping you uh, 
vertical. So the best thing to do is to lie down on your back, on either on the floor or a firm bed, and uh, have your knees up and your feet flat on the floor. And that will make certain that uh, nothing externally is restricting the movement of your stomach, your diaphragm area, and your rib cage. And then you have someone take uh, just a standard cloth tape measure and first of all, measure the circumference of your stomach at your belly button. And then you move the tape measure up and measure the circumference at your diaphragm, which is at what is called the costal arch. And this is this upside down V where your ribs come together in the front. Yeah. And, and this is all done with air in your lungs or with the air no, all out at, of your lungs? or No, just at rest. We're so just starting off. Because I'm rest. always breathing. Well, you're not breathing deeply. Okay. So yeah. shallow breathing. Just regular, normal, regular, shallow breathing, right? Okay. okay. And then you move up. <clears throat> and for men, you measure at the nipple line. You measure the size of the chest at the nipple line. And for women, you would measure just underneath the breasts. So you have three measurements of the um, total circumference of the stomach, the diaphragm, and the chest when there's no uh, big movement. Okay. So now what we want to do is we want to measure how much each of those areas move when you take as deep a breath as possible. Okay, so you blow out all of your air, okay, and move the um, tape measure down to the stomach level, blow out all of your air, and make sure that you blow it out all of your chest and all of your stomach, and then uh, have them uh, note what the, the new circumference is, and then you take as deep a breath as you possibly can, making sure that you expand your stomach, diaphragm, and chest, all of them and have them note how many inches of expansion that you have in each area. So they'll repeat that process again at the diaphragm and again at the chest. So you now have uh, six measurements. You have the circumference and how much movement that you have, okay? Now, in order to be able to compare people who have different sized chests, uh, what we do is that we express the amount of movement as a percentage. And that way we don't have to look up on a huge numbers table. So you take the amount of movement, for instance, in your stomach. And let's take a look here at yourself. Your amount of movement in your stomach was four and a half inches. And you divide that by the circumference of your stomach, which was 34 and a half inches. And you have a stomach expansion of 13%, uh, which is pretty good. Okay. So for mental performance, we want to have a minimum of 15%. And for athletic performance, we want to have 20%. Okay. So 13% is still pretty good, okay? Then we move up to the diaphragm. And in your case, the circumference of your diaphragm was 40 inches. Uh, that moved a total of three inches. And so your diaphragm uh, range is 7.5%. And that's not yeah. good. And that can be explained by the broken ribs that you had, okay? Mm. Because whenever you, you know, break or tear anything in the body, you create scar tissue and microfibers to immobilize it. And the problem is, is that na nature figured out how to put on that cast, but never figured out how to take it off. Hmm. Nature left that up to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So then we move up to your chest circumference, and your chest is 41 and a half inches. That moved three and a half inches, and that gives you a chest expansion of 8.4%, which is not good. And that, of course, is also due to the cracked ribs and who knows what else. Okay. Right. right. Now, the problem here is that your lungs are not in your stomach. 
if your lungs were in your stomach, your endurance would be much greater than it is. Hmm. But the lungs are actually up in the rib cage. So all this advice that people are giving people, you know, uh, from yoga, and that is you breathe in your stomach and not in your chest, unfortunately, uh, just is not based on, on human anatomy. Okay. The lungs are up in the chest. That's the area that needs to expand. And when my athletes increase their lung capacity, it's because I increase their chest expansion. So does that make sense? Yeah. Why do you measure the belly if it doesn't matter? Well, because when the diaphragm, uh, the way that you get air into your lungs is in two ways. One is the diaphragm, which is a dome-shaped muscle uh, that attaches to the bottom edge of your rib cage. That muscle contracts, and as it contracts, it pulls that dome down and creates a partial vacuum in your chest. And, and so the air pressure from outside then pushes air into your lungs. This is, this is one of the main reasons that uh, police officers and, and soldiers wear uh, bulletproof vests. It's not just to protect their heart, but you also want to protect your chest because if you get a bullet in your chest, it creates a hole there and then you can't create a vacuum and then you can't breathe anymore. People don't realize that. They think it's all because of the heart, but it's actually yeah. because of the chest. So as that diaphragm, as that dome contracts and flattens, it pushes down on the abdominal contents, your stomach, your liver, your pancreas. And if your stomach can't expand, then that will block the movement of the diaphragm. And then the second part of, of creating that vacuum is that the intercostal muscles will lift up and, and the ribs and expand the rib cage. So it's actually a two-part uh, process and both of them are important. But um, you can't bring in a lot of air when the chest is tight. And, um, and that's why um, I talk about this as chest expansion because right. I find that for most guys, the main problem is that their chest gets tight, whereas for many women, the main problem is their stomach gets tight. And I could never figure this out until I worked with a, a female track athlete. And as I was releasing uh, microfibers in her around her stomach muscles, she remembered that uh, when she was in third grade, as a little girl, she decided that her stomach was too big, and so she consciously tightened up her stomach muscles and continued to do that, you know, throughout her whole career, not realizing that it was slowing her down when she was running track. Wow, amazing! All right, well, how was how did Glenn do? <laughs> oh, great. oh dear, okay. I know. Huh? <laughs> okay, so uh, Glenn measured his uh, stomach. Uh, which is 29 inches, which is good. It means he's uh, not got any, doesn't have any belly fat. Um, it expands three inches. And so he's uh, got a 10% expansion rate in his stomach, uh, which is not bad for somebody who's not involved in sports. But for somebody who's involved in any kind of aerobic sport, he has half the expansion that he needs, which is 20%. Okay. Then we move up to his diaphragm, which is 35 inches. That expands even less, which is 2 inches. And so he has a 5.7 inch, 5.7% expansion rate, which is way below what he wants as any kind of aerobic athlete. And even for mental work, he'll want to, uh, he'll want to uh, almost triple that, okay? And we see the same thing uh, actually gets worse in his chest. His chest is 37 inches. Uh, it expands only 2%, so that's 5.4%. Uh, now, here's the other problem with having uh, restrictions in your breathing is that it not only affects your athletic performance. Uh, you know, I told you about the cyclist who rode the other cyclist into the ground after we increased his chest expansion. Right and the professional soccer player. And uh, I didn't mention another 
uh, athlete that I measured who also had 20% expansion rate, and that was Martina Navratilova, who you may hmm. remember as one of the oh, yeah. greatest, greatest female tennis players of all times, who, by the way, was renowned for her, quote, fitness, okay? So she was playing a, a tournament at Oakland, which is across the bay from Tiburon in the San Francisco area. And a friend of mine uh, was working as the massage therapist for the tournament and called me up and she, and she said, would you like to meet uh, Martina? And I said, oh, I'd love to. That'd be great. You know? So I grabbed my, uh, my protractor and my, uh, and my cloth tape measure and drove over to the tournament. And she introduced me to Martina, and I explained to her what I did as I increased flexibility in, in athletes. And I asked her if she would mind if I measured her ranges, and she said, oh, I don't mind at all. So I measured her, uh, obviously, for tennis, your legs and hip flexibility is very important to get around on the court. And she had uh, good flexibility there, not great. Uh, and then you need good shoulder flexibility for your serves and your ground strokes. And again, she had good flexibility, but not great. But then when I measured her breathing ranges, they were all 20% each. Wow. All of them were 20% each. So I had, after I measured her breathing ranges, I didn't tell her what they were, but I, I said kind of half jokingly, I said, uh, I bet you never get tired when you play tennis. And she said, you know, I don't. She said, I don't understand it because the other girls get tired, but I don't, I never get tired. Uh, it doesn't matter how long a point is or a match or a tournament. I just don't get tired. And I, then I explained to her, I said, well, that's because you're taking in probably twice as much oxygen as your opponents are because your chest expansion is 20% and they're usually around 10%. And she said, well, I guess you must be right. <laughs> so this is the kind of impact that big chest expansion can have on, on, on sports performance. And just as importantly for athletes who are getting older on their mental performance, because we know that as people get older, that they tend to kind of um, forget things and, uh, you know, they don't remember exactly where their keys are or something like this. And a lot of this I have found personally is due to lack of chest expansion because the brain is when you're sleeping not, yeah when you're sleeping because your brain is okay. simply not getting enough oxygen but there's one more thing as i like to say in the tv commercials and that is that studies have been done on um, not just mental performance but on cognitive and physical decline in people yeah. and they found that that lung capacity and how fast you can blow out air is a early predictor of physical and mental decline. How interesting. Now, I'm sure that the people who did these studies thought that this was due to something with the lung, okay? In other words, people who had low lung capacity for their age group or their, the speed at which they exhaled was due to some problem within the lung because, of course, people are looking for a disease to, as a source of a problem. Right. But what I found and what one researcher found was that it's actually due more to what's called uh, chest wall compliance. That's a fancy word for chest expansion. In other words, one study uh, by a guy by the name of Middleman uh, found that the um, difference in, in age differences in lung volume was largely accounted for by the decrease in chest wall compliance or chest stiffness. Hmm. Okay, so that means that <clears throat> when you cracked those ribs when you were younger, um, that's going to reduce your life expectancy, according to the studies that have been done. And by the way, these are not small studies. One of them, they looked at the lung capacity and exhale speed of, of 6,000 people. In the, it was in the British Longevity Study. Interesting. So that's how, that's how important uh, chest expansion is, measuring that and then... Uh, finding ways to improve it are probably the two most important things that you can do 
as far as your physical, mental performance and longevity are concerned. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like exercise in general is good because it's you're breathing more than you would if you were sitting on a couch and that's got to be helping. But you're saying there's more you could do to have even more help. Much more. Right. And, and, and the problem is, is that nobody is aware of this because as you know, uh, you cannot feel that your chest is stiff. Okay. You and I, I'm sure both can feel when our necks are stiff. You know, we wake up and, oh, I've got a stiff neck, you know, or our shoulders are stiff or our hips are stiff. But why is it that we can't feel when our uh, rib cage is stiff? It just, it doesn't really make sense. Well, it's more diabolical than that because it's not that I, I can't feel that my chest is stiff. It's that my chest feels very flexible. It yes. feels like I could expand it so much that I could levitate just from <laughs> <laughs> breathing in so much air. Or as they say in the fairy tale, you could huff and puff and blow the t- house down. Yes. Right? That's even better. <laughs> so to find out that's not true is uh, rather disappointing. It's, um, it's Far from true, yeah, with all of us, yeah. Well, all right, Bob. Well, that was really quite eye-opening. Going to have to figure out a way to come see you one of these days, although I'm not anywhere close at the moment. (laughs) Well, I tell you what. uh, Go to my website, uh, sign up to be on my mailing list, and uh, when we uh, train somebody in your area, we'll let you know. How's that? Perfect. That'll work great. (laughs) All right, Bob. Well, hey, thanks for taking some time to be with us. My pleasure. All right. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Bob Pritchard. And thanks to Bob for taking some time to help us out. You can find more information about Bob in the show notes. And if you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you're on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.